Hello, and welcome back to Schizotopia. As always, I'm your host, Maxwell Cody, and joining me tonight, Salome Sibonet. Bonjour. <laughs> Bonjour, Salome. I didn't mess it up, right? That was correct. That was perfect. Okay, see, that was the power of negative thinking. I was so convinced I was going to mess it up that I actually got it right, okay? <laughs> Contra what you hear from all these internet influencers, sometimes, sometimes the power of negative thinking works. Um, the first question... I want to ask you, and I ask everyone who comes on here, I ask them this, you can check. Uh, where did you get your curls from? Uh, we all want to know. The people want to know. See, there's a lot of things that you can ask me that are far more personal that I'll be willing to answer. Hmm. But that one, I think I may I may keep that a secret. I, I'd like, you know, like, let's get some money flowing. If well, I we can't do. Just we have a here. pool going. We have a pool going. We got <laughs> people who are like, those are yeah. Italian curls. Those are Latino curls. Those are Ashkenazi curls. Mm, Those are okay, Persian yeah. curls. Okay. There's a whole, there's like a whole curl, curly hair belt. And this is true. Yeah. The, yours could be any. <laughs> well, I will take the ambiguity as a compliment because I think a little yeah. mystery nowadays, you know, it goes, it goes a long way. Well, it, they are um, Latina curls. I'm mm -hmm. Cuban. So mm -hmm. they're island curls, if you will. See, but what could be what could be more ethnically ambiguous than that? You have a French yeah. name, but you're Cubano. Exactly. No yeah. one knows what the fuck I'm doing, who I am, what's what I'm about. And that's mostly the way I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So are they Caribbean curls or Caribbean curls? That would be the follow up question. I've always said Caribbean. Mm -hmm. OK. Caribbean feels like it takes a lot of extra effort for some reason. And I don't like that. I don't, it, it feels try hard. Caribbean just flows. <laughs> okay. Would you consider yourself an island girl? Yeah, definitely. Even though I was born and raised in Miami, yeah. it might as well be an island. It is culturally an island unto itself. And so I, I definitely strive and believe that I embody island energy. Um, how do you feel about Florida? Are you Florida pilled? A lot of people have been trying to Florida pill me. Well, I think... Florida pilled. I, I can't be Florida pilled because I was born and raised there. I can only return to my roots. You are, know? You, and, are you a Florida patriot then? I guess that would be the better question. That sounds kind of crass. Um, I don't want to be a Florida patriot. I'm a native. That's different. That's a little bit, you know, I don't apologize for my insanity, <laughs> nor do I pretend that it's not there. So I feel... I, I kind of like it, though. I, I enjoy Florida energy. I think it's incredibly chaotic. Um, and it's kind of like to me, I think there's a Jungian element to analyzing Florida. And Florida feels like the shadow of the United States. And I think we need it. We need that. And we need to embrace that Florida is also part of us as much as it might perturb a lot of people. It's still us. Florida is the shadow of the United States. I would think maybe I guess I'd be more Freudian about it. I feel like Florida is the id of the United States. Okay. I could see that. But then what would be the shadow if you were going to liken the states to Jungian analysis? I, I figured out already that California is the, the persona. Yes, I was just going to say California is definitely the persona. When I think of the shadow of the United States, I think of the South as, mm -hmm. as a whole. The I think whole region the whole the South, <laughs> the former Confederacy. I mean, even think about how like mm. think about how the South kind of became the underworld in our collective unconscious. I mean, in our national unconscious, you could say, where it's like, you know, there's the ghost of the Confederacy. 
like even like the clan they dress up as ghosts of confederate oh, soldiers yes. they do human sacrifice you know through um lynchings and, and stuff mm. like that it's like that is the thing that weighs heaviest on uh i would say our collective psyche like the whole and it makes specter. us insane because we're yes. so at odds with it and we're still wrestling with it right. i think you're exactly right oh my god the entire south is the shadow of the united states oh i need to go right that's really that's even, important like because i always thought like um like the novel as i as i lay dying uh faulkner um i always felt like that whole book is like a funeral procession for the south mm, that's so interesting i haven't read it so embarrassing for me but um i'll take your word for it i i would i i would highly recommend that book i think you'll see what i mean but I, when i think of like what would i say is the the underworld the shadowy the, the shadow that we're always contending with i would say that's probably mostly embodied by the south and then also, so I don't get any angry hate mail, I'd also say like just the indigenous people as a whole or like mm. the the Native Americans and, and their experience in the U.S., I would say that would be a big part of it as well. I think that's so that is very like the unconscious of the U.S. You know, yeah. it's like this thing, these skeletons in our closet in some element, literally. And that is very shadow elements, you know, things that we don't outright contend with, at least in a healthy way, necessarily. And because of that, drive our actions in indirect, but than destructive ways. I have you ever seen Gone with the Wind? No. Okay, I feel like you're. Here's the other thing. Florida. I know, outing myself is so uncultured. It's the Florida thing. It's Florida is different from the rest of the South, is my understanding. It is. It is. It's not. It's a different. It's 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 a little too tropical for the rest of the South. You know what I mean? It's a little and brown it's kind of its in a way. Thing. Like there's yeah. like a whole part of it that nobody speaks English. So it's, that kind of complicates things. It's not formerly French or British. It's formerly Spanish, right? Florida mm -hmm. starts off as part of the Spanish Empire. So I guess it's a slightly different flavor. That's what makes it more compelling in a way, because it's not just the shadow. <laughs> I think that's what makes it. You like, are a Florida there's... patriot. You are a Florida <laughs> patriot. Look, it's just also my day in the fucking sun because okay. my entire life, Florida was the butt of every joke. It was so I embarrassing. See. It was so lame. And then I moved to California. And then within, I think it was like six months max, the pandemic hit and California just became increasingly embarrassing. Yes. And Florida was like having its moment in the fucking sun. <laughs> it becomes and the oasis. I know. I know. Literally within months of me leaving. So I, from afar, I'm like, go you go have your at last at last i you know you know what my entire life florida was absolutely a joke and everybody I always know. shit on it and everybody always talked about it basically it's like america's pasture where you put all the old people in basically <laughs> that's what florida was it's like a, a a nice warm waiting room for the dead so i guess in that sense florida has an underworld quality but true. one of my friends uh, just before um i moved from where i was currently living um, one of my friends, the last time I hung out with him, he was literally on his laptop, on his computer, just looking at apartments. And I was like, hey, like, wh wh what are you looking at? He's like, oh, I'm looking at houses in Florida right now. And he'd be like, hey, check out this three bedroom. <laughs> it's only 700 a month or something. This is crazy. Oh I should yeah. move there. Never in my life would I ever imagine that people in California would be seriously talking about uh, moving to Florida. But I mean, you're telling me I lived the pain of being from Florida. It has always been an embarrassment. It's always been an embarrassment. And the saving grace was that, well, I'm not really from Florida. I'm from Miami. Okay. Ah, uh, a <laughs> little bit. Right. Different. Yeah, it is. It is. Will it Smith a had a song about Miami. It can't be that Indeed bad, right? Did. Exactly. He knew. He knew. 
He knew what was coming. He knew that Florida and Miami would have their day because now Miami's like a hot Bitcoin, whatever, like subversive tech bro in the making city, which is just once again, I am losing my mind that the place <laughs> that I thought was always embarrassing and was embarrassed about is going to be the new cool. San Francisco. It's insane. Yeah. Good luck with that, though. Like you can never <laughs> civilize the the inhabitants of Miami to that degree. It just won't happen. The culture there is really thick in how yeah. different it is from a lot of other urban cities. The bath whatever. salts, the bath salts are just mm -hmm. too strong down there. Mm -hmm. Can't cut ever, through the bath salts. <laughs> to ever in Florida. I remember when that happened. Like I remember that we were the first ones to be in the news for bath salts. And it was like some guy ate someone's face on the freeway because he was on bath salts. Yeah. And it was just once again, Florida. But now, now look who wants to go over to the land of the bath salts and the face-eating <laughs> insane people. So, you know, can't talk too much shit. It's it's, true. That's exactly what happens. Then suddenly you're looking at apartments in Florida after you thought it was the uncoolest place in the world. <laughs> Everybody gets their due. The last shall be made first. Um, <laughs> I want to talk to you about post-traumatic partisanship disorder because i oh feel like God. this if i was going to define the territory that i think uh you you deal in it just from from as much as i've seen your stuff i feel like that's kind of what your your vibe is yeah that's a good assertion is that a word i feel like i just made that up um i'm gonna give you you have florida privilege tonight okay, so you make up whatever you. words I get you to want make okay <laughs> good good <laughs> if you need to pause it, chew somebody's face off don't worry about it Thank you. I get um, special extra time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I see I see this little nodal point in you, right? Where the whole way that the internet is set up is to be adversarial, to be as sensationalist and clickbait as humanly possible. And basically this rewards the absolute worst people you can possibly imagine, right? Um from both sides. We'll be very both sides of this. From both sides, it, it rewards the absolute worst type of people. And it gives everybody something called bad world syndrome, where you, you, you're you exposed to so much negative information, you cannot help but see the world as horrible and adversarial. Um, and uh, the impression I get from you, and why I want to talk to you tonight, is because I think you're trying to start some kind of discourse, some kind of process to take people out of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I'm it's really impressive that you were able to kind of pin that down and describe it in such an an articulate way because it, it it really is that it's it's post I see the way that I view our current political landscape and the discourse around cultural issues as being post partisanship post belief in politics as mm -hmm. uh, a full system that you can be guided by and so it's just I know all the talking points. And when something gets that boring to me and when I see that the the arguments always come back around in this circular way, there's no resolution. Um, it's very clear that it's a broken cycle and any type of forward motion, mm -hmm. any type of progress, anything new has to be outside of that cycle. And so I try to find a way to address issues without stepping into either cir either circle of belief either you know any person's uh preferred ideology per se because i think that in a way that's kind of just the language that we know how to use for dealing with a lot of the pressing issues and ideas that we want to talk about but i think that there can be a language that 
breaks out of that circular dynamic that allows us to be able to talk about things in a higher level way. I mean, it's very clear that the way we're discussing things doesn't fucking work. And it's so boring to me. And so to me, I just, I don't, I have to participate in something else. I have to do something else. And so that is kind of why, you know, I'll lean into to both sides at times because I just don't feel compelled to even um, claim membership in any one party or ideology or group or whatever it is. I think it's really in the future we'll be coming to this, these issues from more of an a la carte way where it's like you're going about things dealing issue by issue rather than trying to bring an entire system of belief to the world and hoping it matches up with every single every single you, issue you think that is what things will be like in the future or that's what you want well that's different yeah because um, that's a very optimistic take on where you think things are going yeah uh, right wh what i usually point out to people and something i've been thinking about a lot take any wedge issue whether it's guns abortion uh gay marriage universal health care um or, 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 or any other really strong culture war divisive issue um and just answer me this have you ever seen someone change their position on one of these issues without changing their entire worldview or party affiliation have you has that have you ever seen it in your entire life anyone out there listening have you ever seen it have you ever seen a republican go okay i'm going to stay republican on everything else but I've changed my view on guns. I'm now I'm now calling for the repeal of the Second Amendment or vice versa. Have you ever seen a Democrat be like, you know what? Uh, I am actually pro-life now. You've convinced me. However, I'm going to still remain within the Democratic Party as a as a pro-lifer or something like that. It never happens. And it's it's basically every single one of these issues then just becomes an excuse for a kind of psychological political trench warfare where you think you're going to score a bunch of points by trying to weaponize any tragedy or decision or anything that happens. Um, and people think, well, this is it. This will be the thing that will will get people on my side. And it turns into just kind of an extended trench warfare that you see that the lines actually don't ever really move that much. Yeah. And, and those examples are important because those are the kind of issues that are underpinned by really big moral outlooks on life. So if you change your view on the Second Amendment or on pro-life, pro-choice debate, you've you have to fundamentally change your worldview because those issues tie into much bigger values. And that's also part of what I use to look at things like this is rather than debating pro-life, pro-choice, whatever, which there's, you know, these things should be treated more like technical processes debating policy you're not going to change anyone's mind on deeply moral issues like mm -hmm. that especially not by just like yelling or whatever or demonizing mm -hmm. i mean yeah, that's demonization, just it's not going to work like that feels good for you but it doesn't really get anywhere because those issues are deeply moral and like i said they're tied to really big values so the idea of um of liberty or whatever or the idea that one would, should have skepticism towards their government, period. These are kind of larger buckets that those issues fit into. And so 
they're not, if, if those issues change, the bucket that they're within has likely changed, which is what you're saying. And so in, in terms of those issues changing, no, but I think if we know that, right, if we come to actually see the entire thing as being tied to these bigger issues, these moral outlooks, as opposed to what I kind of have the sense that we still do, because I know this is what I did when I was younger, which is like, they just don't get it. They don't understand why this is wrong or why this is right. It's this mm. logical approach when really these issues are deeply emotional. They're deeply moral and they're tied to vast philosophies that people can't even articulate all the time if you ask them and probe deeper. And so if we start to understand ourselves as human beings, as opposed to this kind of like fake, rational, logical shit that we're all having debates about the facts. Like that's not happening. It's very clearly not happening. We use facts to throw them at each other and weaponize mm -hmm. them and then demonize each other. What's really going on beneath all those arguments, all those debates, all those cyclical dynamics is an emotional process tied to one's personal philosophy on the world. And so, like you said, that's where the actual change usually stems from. It's a worldview that has changed, which then those smaller issues that are tied into that worldview change along with it. But we're kind of like, it, it feels to me like a backwards process. Like we're trying to discuss incredibly complex, sensitive, personal issues by starting at the most surface level approach, which is like, well, the facts show that if a woman... Uh, gets an abortion she's likely already had three kids so she's not just getting it because she's a slut or whatever it's like mm. that's not what it's about <laughs> yes you know like i get it yeah you're right you are right but that's not what the other person is really making their belief about that on like that's not what it's really about because then we'd be changing our mind all the time right we'd be getting different facts all the time and things would be changing constantly we'd say oh time to update this time to update that right. but worldviews and the politics that stem from those tend to stay the same for most of people's adult lives. I So one thing that's interesting to me is that there's this new field of uh, political psychology. And one of the experiments that, um, I don't remember who, but one of the experiments that was done that I think about all the time is they took people who identified as liberal and they took people who identified as conservative and they would sit them in front of these old TV screens, old computer screens, and show them collages for a couple seconds, just collages of images, and ask them what they saw. And the people who identified as conservative um, always identified the threats in the images first. Mm -hmm. So if, if there was a gun or a tarantula or a knife or anything like that included in the collage, that's the first thing that they would see. Um, and whereas the people identified as liberal, uh, they, they would usually see other images first. Um, I, th I think they would see faces first or something like that. Uh, I might be misremembering, but it was something to that effect. And the implication being that people who were tended to be more right wing tended to be, well, depending on your perspective, you could say they're a little bit more paranoid or you could say they're a little bit more vigilant. Um, if you know, I don't want to be partisan in my reading of this, but it the point being that you know it's probably not appreciated how much people's politics are downstream from their psychology. And I can't help but think that you know the reason why big cities tend to be liberal isn't just because they have more money or they're more educated or something like that. I think it probably, especially in the context of the United States, probably has to do with if you are forced to live amongst a lot of different type of people, you're going to get used to that and you're going to get used to um, 
dealing with lots of different types of people, living in confined spaces, this sort of thing. I think that that was that would sort of force you to be more liberal in the same way that if you're living in places that are relatively isolated outside of cities where you maybe have to be a little bit more self-reliant or something like that, um, you know, because you're a, a, a farmer or you live in a small, very tight knit um, uniform community you're just naturally going to be more conservative. And I'm guessing people self-select in this regard as well, too. You know, the people who are more likely to want to go live in a big cosmopolitan city will probably be more liberal, just like the people who want to stay in their hometown tend to be more conservative. Mm -hmm. I love that study. I think I've heard of that. And it, it's exactly that. It shows that we don't very often rationally and logically select all of our politics and all of our, our ideals a lot of the time, they're a manifestation of temperament or even just life experience in some regard. And so the fact that it's something further from us and we're we're so fixated on dealing with that rather than, you know, the the origins of those beliefs, that to me seems counterproductive or at least in the most generous sense, not the most effective approach. Because then the question becomes, are you trying to change someone's temperament? Are you trying to change their personality? Because that's just likely not going to work. And um, and there's an argument there because what it essentially implies is that there's a need for that. Unless we're going to make the argument that everyone who has the kind of temperament that leans them towards conservative views is flawed and damaged and needs to be fixed in some way, which is a really bleak conclusion, then it actually puts forth the argument that perhaps that's a necessary perspective. And really the complication is in finding a way to deal with the discrepancy between those different temperaments. And again, this comes back to what, what I think is, this is more productive. Like this is a more interesting and accurate way to deal with differences that then beget political differences that are blown up into culture wars and endless debates and all of that. I think that starting from there is not as helpful as starting from the origins of what leads people to have views that we might not agree with or find, you know, harmful. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about your own personal journey. You know, mm. if there was, if there was, if you yourself, um, were formerly someone who was very partisan, or you had some kind of experience that gave you post-traumatic partisanship disorder uh, that you then needed to work through to kind of get you to where you are now. Yeah, that's a very important part of how I see the world now. Because when I was younger, I was like a hardcore communist. I gravitated towards that ideology. It made sense to me. Um, and it felt emotionally good. I recall feeling mm. very mm, I, I do have I do have to ask, were your parents pro anti-Castro? Was this a, maybe a rebellion against mom and dad? So my parents are pretty liberal, like pretty run-of-the-mill Democrat, but um, they're not pro the communist dictatorship because uh, they fled. So that's pretty standard that anyone that left it is not going to be pro it. And the family that I have in Cuba still, they're also not pro um, Castro. So it it could have definitely been part of that. 
because I do remember it, it is a weird thing, right? To be Cuban and then to have had like a commie phase. It's it's <laughs> it requires because some explanation. Mo most Cubans, you know, the joke is that like the, the Cubans yeah. are Republican because Castro took their farm, their slave farms away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, my journey was a little bit more twisty than that. I guess my farm got taken away later on. So I, I got to be a commie first. But my parents have never really been, um, you know, that political in that sense. And if anything, they were more left leaning and, and so they still are. In your commie phase, did you join any of the like fringe parties? I think Party of Liberation, Party for Liberation and Socialism, that's the one that's like pretty pro Cuba, pro Venezuela. No, because I was a lot younger. So this was like me being 18. Oh, um, yeah, so I wasn't really, you know, joining anything or or doing any kind of like mobilizing. It was more just forming my worldview and forming my politics and then views on policy and then informing how I voted and stuff like that. But well, no so kind were of were you, you just know. reading Marx? I mean, what, what do you mean? What was the commie phase? <laughs> yeah, basically, I was like a Tumblr commie, you know, so like okay. I read enough stuff to be like yeah that makes sense that explains the problems that i see in the world and so these solutions make sense and um and so it you know i think people come to their politics for many different reasons going back to what we're saying i think it satisfied something in me emotionally mm -hmm. um but either way it was i kept those views for a while though they just became a little less uh intense um but then I think but, the hold, biggest... hold on, hold on. What what exactly were the views where you're like, we got to have the global worker revolution? No guns. Yeah. No, I was like, and we're taking don't away guns. the guns. Yeah. We don't need guns. Um, Like you should just have a, a program to fix everything. We could just fix all our problems with a government program. Like, why don't we give free housing? Like, why don't we, you know, do X, Y, Z? Like food should be more available to people for free or whatever. Kind of this idea of, you know, creating more of a of a socialist type utopia. So, All the things that in my younger self, I was like, yeah, this is great. And then as I got older, I was like, why doesn't it ever work? Well, so it wasn't. But OK, this is what's funny to me. It doesn't really sound that doesn't really sound like revolutionary socialism as much as like, I just want a bigger welfare state. I uh, yeah, that's that was part of it for sure, because um, I just saw that that would be the answer to me was like, mm. if we have a problem, then use the state to solve it. Why not um, more taxes, tax the rich more and all these things like I kind of didn't. I, I think part of it is that I was a lot younger, so I just hadn't had enough experience to see, well, why doesn't this work? Why don't we just do it? What are the what are the obstacles? Actually, to me, it was just like a lack of getting it done. But there was also very much uh, the revolutionary edge to it um, where I was like, if there needs to be violent revolution to bring about a better world then you gotta crack a few eggs type of shit mm -hmm. very you know like that kind of rhetoric that now it's just like oh shit no i don't want to live through a fucking revolution that's insane i would <laughs> do everything possible to not have to live through that kind of chaos and violence um it's not not quite bad enough yet for for me or for anyone i know that i would risk that level of right. violence and chaos and so you know that's it is it was this very naive of you so you were like this kind of very vague tumblr communist mm -hmm. what happened what changed that <laughs> um let's see so i can't really pin it so 
um, directly on anything in particular. Um, I know that it coincides with a really bad breakup I had, which is really kind of a strange story. It um, makes it, a bad breakup will make you reevaluate a lot of things. It gets very essential. Yeah. You know, people actually deal with deaths in the family better than they do with breakups. Oh, wow. That's kind of bleak, but I believe it. And that is definitely true for me that it was uh, a moment of reevaluation. Um, because at the same time, I was starting to read um, things like Nietzsche and Jung and... Whereas I was very closed minded to things like Jungian psychology, especially because I was also a really hardcore atheist when I was in that more Tumblr commie phase. And so there's this this shift, if I could describe it properly, it's essentially realizing that one, I don't know fucking anything <laughs> and two there are many ways to understand a single phenomenon mm -hmm. and it completely changed the way I started interpreting things because I think that breakup made me realize that I had no fucking clue what, what I was doing in the world. I thought I knew what was going on and then suddenly very much the rug was pulled out from under me mm -hmm. and that caused me a lot of, um, of needing to, to reevaluate and to kind of like reconfigure my self-image and so that coinciding with reading a lot of existentialism too that's uh keep your kids away from existentialism if you don't want them to start <laughs> questioning the nature of the universe um that really allowed me to see oh wow things are a lot deeper than i'm allowing them to be and things are a lot more malleable than i'm allowing them to be and so it completely shifted the way that i started to look at things because instead of forcing things into the narrative that I already had about them, it became much more organic to approach things with a question. So it was like, uh, you know, item A, instead of being like, item A, okay, immediately means this, because that's the, the schema that I have for that. Boom, done. It is more of this item A. Okay, that's what I think about that. But what if it was this? And what if it could be this? And so I started to look at things in terms of questions more than answers. And that led me down far ranging path that ultimately got me to where I am now, which is I question everything. And I don't mean that in a like, oh, anti-authority. I mean, I question how we communicate, how mm -hmm. we do things, everything that we do as a society, as a culture, as an individual, because I have lived what it's like to think that there's only one way and then to have that go completely wrong and have this other world open up when you were more willing to see it. Was this was this bad breakup? Was this boyfriend? Was he a fellow Tumblr communist? No, no. He was um, more of like pushing back on like the more kind of uh, fundamentalist leftist culture that we recognize now as like the cancel culture and the, you know, sit down, white man, do not speak mm. type of ethos. So he was in that direction while I was still like in the, the hardcore Bernie Sanders camp. Mm. And um, so I was kind of like not not really prepared to accept that totally. Um, but 
but yeah, so I don't know. The next guy I dated after that was like a full on entrepreneur, very successful, total capitalist. And that also really rocked my worldview because I was anti-capitalist. I was all of that. I was like, oh, cap capitalism is the reason for everything that's wrong today, blah, blah, blah. And it was just. Okay, so you're, you were really doing some some union alchemy. <laughs> I know it's a lot. Um, what was the first book you read about Young? Aeon. You started with Aeon? I know. I know. I haven't You're read wild. the whole thing. <laughs> that's but the that's craziest what... thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it was funny because I didn't I didn't read that is crazy. That's the one you started with. Because that's the that's his craziest one. That's the most yeah, apocalyptic one. Yeah. That's the darkest one. Uh he doesn't spell everything out, but when you get to it, and it's oh dude, because I bring up Aeon periodically because it's so uh it's so blackpilled. And the reason why I like it is because Young has been turned into a kind of self-help guru. Mm -hmm. And that's not really what he taught at all. It kind of in the same way you talked about you reading Young and Nietzsche. Young and Nietzsche are very similar in this regard where mm -hmm. people have extremely strong opinions about them, either for or against, but clearly never actually read any of it. Right. It's like, so true. It's like there's like people who hate Nietzsche because they think he's a proto-Nazi. Mm -hmm. I even when I was in college we were studying all these different philosophers when i get to when you get to study nietzsche the professor had to hand out a little like basically like trigger warning paper to oh everyone in the class saying that you know like nietzsche is problematic blah, blah blah and here's the thing you can find some problematic things that he said but that's sure. true of marx that's true of kant mm -hmm. that's true of all of them because they're all dudes in the 19th century of course they're going to yeah. have said a lot of things that don't sit well with us here in um wokey world 2022 right so mm -hmm. it's, it was just like um it was like, why are you doing this to Nietzsche and nobody else? And probably because Nietzsche has a very strong critique of liberalism, leftism in general. However, he was not some proto-Nazi. You know, that's not at all what he was saying. I mean, the kind of it, what's funny is a lot of his radical individualism, in my opinion, anticipated what the rest of the world was going to become. He was just kind of ahead of the curve. And he saw its implications maybe a little bit more clearly all the way back 1800s. But it's... I get so riled up sometimes about. No, I know what you mean. People I, just I have like the same, the same feeling. People badly, badly misinterpret people. It's Dude, the same someone thing. commented something about Nietzsche on my Instagram, and like I'm pretty restrained, but that was a test from God. Like they, <laughs> like, well, like Nietzsche is all right. He's kind of stupid. I was like, I will dox you. Like I will ruin your life. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't do that. I need to go pray for strength. Uh, it's just like, come on. Uh, the yeah and it's, it's the same, same thing with you you know yes. like oh Jung is nye, nye, nye. like there's a level of this is the, the interesting thing about some philosophers like this is that there's a level of depth a person can reach where to someone uninitiated if you will they look stupid like you can become so <laughs> esoteric and so far-reaching in your analysis of the world that it actually looks on face value stupid. One of, well, one of the old, one of the oldest memes I remember is the thing about smart motherfuckers is that they sound like crazy motherfuckers to dumb motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I remember yeah. that one. They'd always attribute it to Einstein. I think that was the meme. That's a very old meme. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I believe it. But it's just yeah, same thing with Young, where it's like there you have a, a certain kind of hippie woo woo person who just mm. sees him as the spiritual guru, self help dude. And then you have the other people who think that he's like some mystical Nazi or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and <laughs> I, I like that title. That's fucking hilarious. The one thing I love about Aeon, um, 
Aeon Ion, uh, is that if you read it closely, you see he's not saying I- I've come to save the world um, or that <laughs> here's, how, here's how you can be a better office worker through the power of the archetypes or something like that. Um, he's he's saying that uh, <laughs> we, we may have filled up our shadow a little too much and now we're going to go um, kicking and screaming uh, into it. That's um, what I love about him right. is like there's this this um, this bleakness actually to a lot of his thinking and writing. And it's it's the kind of, of trepidation of an intellectual that's by no means coming to you with claims of having figured it out. Right. On the contrary, what it is is I have realized how much we have not figured out and how much we may not figure out. And that's fucking scary. That That is also to me, like that has been really formative to me. To Jung is, if there's anything that Jung has done for me, it's to learn to embrace un- the unknown and not knowing and just accept yeah. that we're probably going to be fucking a lot of shit up a lot of the time. And that's the human experience. With with young space and science are not the final frontier. Man is the final frontier and we know absolutely nothing about man. Mm. Um, only that now man has the power to to completely destroy himself. So good luck. I mean, that's basically yeah. that's basically what he's saying. I, I was really that. going to condense uh, Ion. That's basically what he is saying. And it's basically what he's saying in his last uh, I- interviews and lectures. Um, so he gets a really bad rap. He gets a really bad rap. And it's really, it's really unfair. And it's really sad. And it's very similar to Nietzsche. And I always say, I always compare Young to Nietzsche more than, like, you should see Young and Nietzsche as being uh, continuous mm-hmm. um, more than Freud and Young, even. I, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, Jung, I believe, like, references Nietzsche fairly overtly in some of his writings, especially when it comes to politics or, you know, ideology or He has a whole set of lectures about um, the sake uh, Zarathustra. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think that's what I was thinking of. I couldn't place it exactly. But I know that he's been definite, he was really inspired by Nietzsche in some regard. Yeah, though I should say I am, I'm still a Freud fan and Freud apologist. I am absolutely a Freud apologist <laughs> and I won't have this shit because it's the same people that are like, Jung is pseudoscience. They're like, Freud is, he was dumb and did coke. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I want to be dumb and do coke. Like, what are you talking about? Isn't that what you try to do already anyway? He just also wrote a bunch of fucking amazing books that essentially created an entire field of study. What a loser. Like, please, you know, a little more humility i I had never put it together before but freud kind of an honorary cuban oh my god i accept that he's got the beard smoking cigars yes i know that of his skull writing bold (laughs) declarations absolutely hypersexual you know very that's also cuban culture is being completely out of pocket i he's an honorary He's an honorary Cuban for I sure. I never thought of it that way, but I feel like Freud, <laughs> Freud and Castro could have seen eye to eye on a lot of things, actually. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. Uh, damn, what was I going to ask you? I had something super important. Let me see here. No, please. Don't want to lose my train of thought. Oh, that's the worst. I'm usually extremely good at this and never and never lose my train of thought. But that's what um, happens if you start talking about Jung and, and Freud and Nietzsche. Yes, like you just you can't true. go that deep and still oh, keep it all in line. Now I remember it. OK, you started with Ion like a fucking crazy person. Uh, clearly, you had no one standing there to tell you not to do that. Um, <laughs> where, where did you go next? After that, I think I haven't read more than excerpts. I oh, I can't remember what the other one is. I didn't finish it. 
your intro okay your intro to young was ion the most heavy crazy I one know. and then from there you were like i got i'm just gonna take it easy <laughs> i just gotta take i gotta take a little take it in little bites damn i can't remember it's it's like um it's some book where it's he's it's it's not reflections something reflections memories dreams and reflections I believe it's that. Okay. I, that's, I yeah. believe there was like some some part of it, not the whole thing, but that's where I went next. I have my co-host that I, I have on my podcast. He is, you know, like war torn because all the books that I've half read, he's read them all and then some. <laughs> and so he kind of like will give me some of the gist and be like, yeah, this is where we're going. I'm like, okay, let me let me read. Let me get into it. Yeah. And then but he goes to war with the shit and he's like, you know, hollowed out looking and shit. It's like. <laughs> When you go that deep into, you know, understanding what Jung thought about alchemy and what it means and how actually it's the hidden forbidden language of man or whatever, mm -hmm. um, you know, you lose a little sleep, it seems. Well, whatever you you started and what's with, in my opinion, you started with the hardest one. Um, I, I took a, a nice, long, slow year uh, to read Ion and I even got the. Um, there's a commentary book this guy wrote about it that I, I read along with it. That one was very difficult. And the the more I got into what I believe he was actually saying in that book, the the more disturbing it gets. Mm -hmm. But I would also recommend, I think I sent you an interview by Peter Kingsley. Yes. Kingsley has a very radical interpretation of Jung uh, that I don't know if I can fully accept it, but I'm very, I'm very much a fan of it uh, regardless. And he wrote a book called uh, Catafault um which is a very a very apocalyptic um reinterpretation of young which that. he claims is the sh should be the actual only interpretation he's very dogmatic on this point but mm. um i would highly recommend that and looking into that it's very interesting if i could ever get peter kingsley to talk to me mm. i don't even know if i could do it i'm a little afraid of the guy to be honest <laughs> i'm a little afraid of him he's i mean got... with that post you know apocalyptic um you know foreshadowing or whatever it is that he's on that's a little bit intimidating but also i feel like that's the energy our time needs like we need to kind of prepare mentally to be yeah. in that space of apocalypse we, like you just need to think about it a little more we all need to be apocalypse maxing <laughs> just a little all right what else do i got here do you ever think there could be a time where or just any example you could think of where you think that partisanship is totally justified. Partisanship to me means being loyal to one's political group above all other um, potential reasons. Like it's prioritizing loyalty and primarily navigating an issue or an idea based on what side your answer puts you as coming out on. And so perhaps in a time of serious chaos, catastrophe and war, one might need to prioritize their membership and loyalty to a group above, you know, the luxury of taking issues as they are and debating them mm -hmm. from an individual perspective. I don't think we're, I think if you're not in that kind of a incredibly high stakes environment where coming out on the wrong side of a group is basically certain death, um, then 
it actually hastens decline in the society because it's like Mm -hmm. you don't pull the alarm bell unless there's actually a fire Mm -hmm. and so i think this i might i'm not totally sure about that because even then one might say well i'll martyr myself for um my right to analyze a topic as an individual even you know and let, let it put me outside of my group and let it put me outside of my party whatever um and i respect that i respect martyrs um but you know you're going to be a martyr. So it it depends on on the stakes of the situation essentially and I don't think we're in those stakes. I think okay, I was I was trying to bait you a little bit, but if you're if you're a true uh if you're a true radical centrist and you're a true pragmatist, right. I I guess the correct view is that any type of radicalism, any type of partisanship is always an act of desperation. It's it can it can never be good in and of itself. It's always a means to an end yeah. that you're you're forced into. Um, I think the issue is, though, is that most people, how they justify their partisanship is by constantly acting like we are in some kind of apocalyptic crisis. But this is the big flaw. This is pulling the alarm bell when there's no actual fire. And to me, that's a huge, huge mistake, because one, there's a reason for the way we feel in a state of emergency, you know, this kind of like adrenaline, this narrow view, this need to to go overboard in how you deal with a situation. If you're truly in an emergency, those are survival tactics. But if you're conjuring up a psychological state of emergency because it simplifies the way you deal with somewhat threatening, upsetting issues, First of all, you're just destroying your body. Like, I I genuinely think that some people are withering away because they're existing in this state of catastrophe. Um, when yeah, it's, I, it's... I talk to them every day. Yes. <laughs> they look like Palpatine. It's like slowly, it's slowly draining their life force. There's no way it's not. There's no way it's not. I mean, I just have to scroll on Twitter a little bit. I'm like, well, I have aged five years in those <laughs> five minutes. So there's well, no way. And then I always say, you know, there are some genuine differences between the Republicans and Democrats. Um, there are going to be some crucial policy decisions that they will, you know, th- th- there will be differences. But the difference is never big enough that it's worth this much energy, this much um, blood and tears. I mean, yeah. my favorite example is all of the emotion that went into the controversy about the construction of the border wall and the uh, refugee camps and how people are being treated. I mean, I had my liberal some some of my liberal Democrat friends uh, and family like in tears, like screaming oh. about this stuff, about how it is like the the literal return of the third Reich. Oh no! And where one, are they now? One like... does anybody care about the kids in cages anymore? <laughs> I was gonna say, aren't they still in the cages? They or just, when did they graduate from them? They, 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 like, suddenly, suddenly that's just not important. You don't need to worry about it anymore. Um, and it it goes to show you how phony that supposed compassion was in the first place. Or maybe if I want to be generous, it's not yeah. that it's phony, but it's just like it's it is situation it's, based, right? Yes, it is. So, it's like it, when the regime is favorable to you. Well, you know, you got to crack a few eggs, I guess. You got to put some kids in cages. Let's just, you know, we'll get to that when we get to it. But when you benefit from this feeling of, oh, look, see, this is Nazi Germany now. Well, <laughs> then suddenly it becomes that way to you. I made a fa- I made a meme. I made a meme when like Biden first got in or first got elected. And there was a news headline that said Joe Biden, President Joe Biden has approved refugee overflow safety patricians. 
Um, you know, it's basically like he's going to keep building the wall, right? And a couple months ago, whatever it was, they're like, oh, actually, <laughs> I read the actual headline that's like, Biden is filling in spaces in the wall due to concerns over safety. And I was like, the ridiculous meme I made, I know this is like, this is a broken record at this point where people say they can't tell the difference between real and I fake know. news. But it's like, it, it was just funny. It's like, it, the, I'm reading the headline that I wrote as a joke a, a few months earlier, a year earlier, or whatever. And does anybody care? Does anybody care? So for all of the screaming and all of the crying and all of the chest beating over the border wall whether you were for or against it in the end it basically got half done it's driving me fucking insane because it's like a circus and it's a shitty circus because at least when you go to the circus the clowns know that they're clowns the acrobats know what they're there to do they're there to swing around and entertain you but we're like pseudo clowns like clowns that don't know they're clowns which i could not (laughs) imagine something sadder than that and it's just there and this comes back again to this I want to deal with things more directly. I want to get more to the core of things. And clearly, if the emotional, the temperature of our climate shifts based on who's in office, suddenly an issue that was the end of our world is just not even (laughs) making the news anymore. We're not dealing. I, I like this idea of being clowns who don't know that we're clowns because that would mean that we live in a society where only juggalos are normal people. You know what? That would be so correct, though. <laughs> that would be that immediately. I'm like, that's terrible. And that makes perfect sense. That's exactly <laughs> what we deserve. To form the basis of our new society. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, think the think about the, the union meaning of the dark carnival. Mm. You know what I mean? They're the only ones who are doing the real shadow work. Mm-hmm. They're going to the dark carnival. <laughs> they're they embracing. They're doing these journeys to the underworld. Okay. So God basically, ICP is the new Red Book. You can quote <laughs> me on that. That's what that's what our times deserve. Absolutely. I mean, it feels organic at this point. It feels true. I just want to see them on the street. Like, I want to start seeing people just dressing like clowns. Just, you know, slowly the population starts to shift and you just see more and more people actually embracing clownness openly. I do. I have a term for this. I call it clowntology. Um, because think about all of the sort of collective psychic energy around the Joker movie where that, that became like the partisan thing to scream at each other about and how you had all of these liberal outlets who basically wanted it to become violent. Um, they weren't quite saying it, but they, they kept warning about violence due to the Joker movie. Um, and what's funny about that to me is like the movie itself, as far as I'm concerned, is pretty left wing. It's about why rich people suck and why you shouldn't you shouldn't idealize uh, Bruce Wayne and his rich asshole family. You could see it easily as an anti-Trump movie. Where yeah, like, absolutely. What's, what's the difference between Trump and Wayne? And even the mom being like, no, he's a good guy, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it's very much like I could see this as like an anti-MAGA movie. 100%. Um, it, it, it's yeah, a- it's it's there. But then it, it's still like there's all this fear around it and <laughs> this fear that a certain type of man is going to like it too much. Um, <laughs> and so for, it, it gets it gets depicted as being some kind of right wing reactionary movie, even though I think it's actually pretty proletarian. Um, and then how many people around the world embraced the joker makeup as like the symbol of their revolutions like people in uh, you know the middle east and stuff in these protests who are dressing up like the um todd phillips joker there's so much there yeah. there's so much there and and there's something about actually we can go deep with the clown shit because it's actually i'm half joking but that's the beauty of good comedy is that it's actually true mm-hmm. clown 
is the symbol of our times because this is a weird time that we're living through where everything is both insanely deeply serious and seems catastrophic but also absurd and we're watching the world burn on tiktok like what could be more of a circus than that mm -hmm. so the clown the embrace of of the clown imagery you know as a revolt <laughs> i can't think of anything more appropriate clown ion <laughs> i'll write it it's my um, browning work now I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you boring questions. Okay. How, how are you feeling about, <laughs> doesn't have to be boring. How are you feeling about the 2024 election? Uh, do you think everyone's favorite Floridian, uh, DeSantis, has a chance to win, if not the nomination, the presidency? Oh, God. Or if not the presidency, the nomination, excuse me. You know, you know, in Midsommar, where they sacrifice the old people at the top of the cliff, <laughs> that's what I feel like every election cycle. It oh, feels I thought you were like say that's what we should be doing to the boomers, and I was going to say yes. <laughs> that is the next chance. That is the next level of of a dark carnival. Yeah, yeah. We come it out of the dark carnival, like and we we begin the sun sacrifices of the boomers. <laughs> it's coming. It's probably coming, and I already feel this like malaise knowing that we're getting it's it's like a ritual of hysteria and it's like we should just start burning effigies again like we need to have tribal rituals in the street so we can channel this insane violent chaotic energy into something that's like somewhat at least not destructive because it is getting channeled into yeah. the election cycles because i i feel this impending doom every time now as elections come near because it's just like oh people are going to kind of lose their minds more than they normally have lost their minds so i'm I, not into it i, I try I to block it i personally can't it, it it boggles my mind that it still works yeah the people will get this hysterical in the build-up to the actual election and then but then i think i guess that's how there's there's no difference between pop culture and politics anymore so it's like yeah. people will get really excited about whatever new remake is coming out like really really excited really really excited and they'll go watch it and they'll argue about it for a little while and then they'll just forget. And in six months to a year, there'll be another big, you know, the next big reboot, the next big remake. Yeah, it's like it's again, it's this cycle and I'm bored. I'm fucking bored. Like <laughs> I would like to see some humane human sacrifice to make it interesting, spice yeah. it up. Let's you know, if we're going to do this, replace the Electoral right. College with trial by combat, like a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, look, Battle Royale, right? They had a point. There was a point to the purge, all of this. Our culture is begging for it. Humans know that you need this kind of like periodic ritual of chaos and violence. And we don't have that. And clearly we want it because everything that we're doing points us in that direction. So I just say, get it right. Um, well, about DeSantis, can you imagine if if Florida sent gets a president? That would be, we're <laughs> going to have be, a lot of This would of be the peak people. of the, the Florida golden age. This is it. Oh, it doesn't get better. If he becomes president, that's it. Florida doesn't go. I don't predict Florida going any higher than that. I don't <laughs> I don't see it. That's the best we can do. And we would be happy with that. I would I would let that be as our crowning achievement. Good. We did it. OK, get him out of there before it gets <laughs> bad. Like it's done now. Someone else take the light. Let us go. If I... he if he does become president, I think it would be. I don't know totally what to expect because he's more conservative than than I'm, you know, personally, mm -hmm. uh, than I personally enjoy. But I think he might be in a way like 
medicine, you know, for the U.S. as like this mm. kind of boring, little bit conservative, but not in a really crazy way, but also not decrepit. I look at the right. presidents as being like I look at them almost as like archetypal figures and patterns. So we had Trump, which was like really jarring, really unexpected, blatantly not of the institution, out, an outsider in a way, but so very, very, no, very clownological. Oh, very, very like <laughs> it was just a, a a glitch in the matrix type of thing, broke the system and it broke a lot of people like to see the institution that they didn't like, but at least had some faith in to a certain degree, produced something so offensive, just broke everything. So mm. there's that. But then we had the backlash to that, which is a non-human president, like a non-existent <laughs> shot, like placeholder president. Yes. This man is not there. Like he's not they we have gone to the other extreme now of being so um so threatened by Trump that we were basically like give us as little of a human being president as you possibly can what's wild about that to me what's wild about that to me is like i think back you know before nixon before the nixon scandal the president was somewhat protected by the media you know like they didn't the media did not go after fdr for being in a wheelchair the way that they would today, I think, you know, if someone was running in a wheelchair, it would get brought up a lot. Um, after Nixon, there was the sort of thing where like the aura of the presidency was damaged enough that it was okay to, um, to shit on the president after that, I, the, the culture changed a little bit. Um, what's weird is it's like Trump is so disliked and he is seen as such an existential threat by the legacy media and powers that be um, that it's almost like this older sense of this older idea that I thought that we had lost of coddling the president has come back where it's mm -hmm. like, and if anyone else had acted like this, I mean, if Obama, can you imagine if Obama started showing signs of senility, like they would have really gone after him. You no, know, it's dude, all they you, do it every time for every president. It's all like you they did it to that. Hillary Clinton. You know, you, everybody yeah. got gets their due of like, are they crazy? Are they sick? Whatever. Right. It's normal to do. But then you have someone that like very clearly isn't doing great. And it's just, you know, there was, there was some guy about it. There was some potential Supreme Court. There's a Supreme Court nominee who I'm pretty sure he ended up getting rejected because they found out that he'd been treated for depression once. Oh, my gosh, that's insane. You know what I mean? So it's like that. And that's the Supreme Court. They don't have the finger on yeah. the button. You yeah. know, it's like so. Um, so it's like the idea of a president who's fully senile. But then here's the other thing. No one really believes that he's president. Yeah. Which in a way that's even worse. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's dark because it's because it's demoralizing. It it it, it cheapens the whole thing. It um, does so much that it's it's actually hard to contend with. What I don't and I don't think anybody's contending with it. By the way, I genuinely think we are not even fucking prepared as a people, as a culture, to contend with what it means to one putting that aside, one to have a president in office who is very clearly incapacitated to a degree that should be of concern to anyone that mm. wants to live in a functional world and society that I, is already bleak i always thought that he was going to get one victory lap year and then kamala was going to take over but then she's so unpopular that they I don't know. they wouldn't want her to be president you know during the midterm so maybe after the midterms and oh this is the other thing um 
because this is, I'd love to hear your take on this. I know that uh, governor of California, Gavin Newsom has been running ads in Florida. This is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in American politics, where one governor is beefing another governor uh, by running ads in his state, uh, in, insulting him and his state. It's this is bonkers to me. It's so weird. I've never seen anything like this. I, I, if if anyone out there knows of an example of something like this happening before, of like governors beefing like this, please, I'd love to hear about it because this seems like something really weird, kind of proto balkanization. Because um, they're not running against each other. This is the thing. Like politicians slam each other. Yeah, sure. But if they're running against each other, yeah, not yet. Exactly. Which is so. Like, this is what like, I. This is what I wanted to ask you about. Because it seems to me like the only logical reason I could think of why Newsom would be doing that, spending money in Florida as the governor of California, is that he's doing it because he's going to run for president. Because it's either already been agreed on that Biden and Harris are going to step down, or this would actually be fun if he's actually going to primary Biden um in in the 2024 election and he's getting ready to do that and he kind of we all know DeSantis is at least going to try to get the Republican nomination which I feel like if he got the Republican nomination he's he'd have Florida on lock and given the economic downturn and given the unpopularity of uh, Biden and Harris he could probably easily win except Trump might take that away from him right so it just seems like you can already see the setup for the 2024 election and how bonkers it's going to be Oh, it's going to be fucking insane. And everybody's going to be insane along with it because that's <laughs> what we do now. I I mean, to me, it's just Newsom looks like someone that bathes in child's blood to me. He's, so got, I he's, he's, he's got the lizard people vibe. He does have he's the lizard people vibe. Strongly. At a time strongly. where there's never been more believers in lizard people <laughs> in the American electorate, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, this is not the vibe. You Don't you have a handler, a stylist, someone, someone that can who pull can you change aside? that hair. I was just going to say, I was taking Why a breath before I be? brought it up. Why and it's like perfectly always that way. It's just, it's not human. It has a very inhuman vibe to it. So, you know, given all my shitty options, I would at least prefer to keep humans being the ones that run things to a certain degree. Mm. I mean, you know, we're, we're really running out of options for, you know, humanity in, in positions of any responsibility at this point. I... Oh about about to wash my hands of all of it and just like you know Jung style prepare for the end because <laughs> if the these shot. are the options the final dark carnival me holding aeon just like let it I'm come let i'm it gonna come. put yeah we're gonna put our clown makeup on and prepare for the final dark carnival <laughs> this is really what this is at this point the elections you just synonymous with dark carnival i but here's the thing if the 2024 election turned into desantis versus newsom a functionally effectively what that election would be is Florida versus California and Florida could actually win. Yeah. So it wouldn't just be like, we're talking about the potential golden age of Florida to not only win, <laughs> but to defeat California. In the I kind of want to see it, man. Gotta be honest. I'm a little biased maybe, I, but kind of want to see already the underdog win. You are a Florida patriot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's, this is the one thing you are partisan about is that you'll put yeah. Florida over everything else. You Especially over California. Cause I'm here <laughs> now. So I have that right to shit on California as much as I want. All right. Um, Salome. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anyone, anything you want to give a shout out to, including yourself? Where can people find you? Myself is exactly who I want to shout out. Mm -hmm. We've already shouted out Nietzsche, Jung, Florida. So base is covered there. Um, 
if you like my perspective and you want to join uh, the dark carnival, you know, we can fare the dark carnival together on Instagram. Follow me. I'm sure you can just find my name in some type of show notes because I'm not going to bother trying to spell it. And I also have a podcast that I do this exact kind of um, dark prophesying. So the Silver Eye Society, if you are so inclined. And um, that is all. I'm very, this was a very fun podcast. I, I just want to say also that I feel like you're primarily running a meme page on your Instagram account. And I was so nervous to do a podcast for a professional, successful, like meme page type <laughs> of deal. I was like, I have no idea. I'm used to like these more like, so like, like dry, whatever professional mm -hmm. things. And this was like, this is what I want though. When you invited me, I was like, I have been embraced by the subculture <laughs> I want. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had a good time. Um, before you go, could you just give me a couple bars of your version of Island Boys, except obviously change it to Island Girl? Okay. Let's see. I need to prepare. Okay, yeah, it would be poetry. Island Girl, Island Girl. What doth ye seek beyond thy island, island girl? That's it. That's all I can do for you. Excellent. If you like more, subscribe to my OnlyFans, <laughs> where I give you plenty of dark carnival poetry every Monday. It's OnlyFans, but just poetry. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> and Excellent. clown makeup. All right. Thank you so much.